You're listening to the Tom Thicklin Show on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Malik Melky Russell is here with me this morning for about 55 minutes. And Malik, you, you've done this before in terms of this media thing. So these 54 minutes are going to go quickly. And so I'm saying now that we, we, we talked, conjectured about us kind of chatting if um, perhaps on a quarterly basis. So I'm, I'm, I'm throwing that out uh, to the universe publicly today that we might, we're not going to cover everything today. And uh, if, if we're still on the planet in a few months, let's try to re reconvene. And if you go to another planet and I'll try to you know, send me messages from that planet and I'll try to send you messages if I go to another planet because I'm, I'm kind of exploring the universe every day. Malik, just before we get started, I, I want to do something that I wanted to do. I've been... Uh, anxious to do since 2015 when we started broadcasting on WNHH 103.5. I wanted to, allow, thanks for allowing me to kind of baptize that. Uh, so what, what was that instrument that I was playing in the league? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Was that oboe? How about, how about this one? Can you see this one? I can see that there's a rain stick. Yeah. The, so the rain stick, and the one I was just playing was just a, a like a, a a Western version, more convenient, fast fast food version of it. Uh, so it's just a it's small. Oh, okay. You know, and, and it's really convenient rather than having to call in the rain stick. But as you know, our uh, Aboriginal so-called Aboriginal people in Australia—that's where that that sound first emanated. And people often ask about what was the first instrument. And I like to kind of remind them that we've been searching for this instrument of uh, consciousness for some for some time. Uh, but but Malik Melky Russell is here with us, author, journalist, thoughtist, and uh, word creator. And Malik, uh, you know, you're going to share with us now a little bit about your your short bio and where you've you, you've worked before and what you're up to currently. And growing up in New Haven is also kind of a fascinating hook. But as you know, the shows that we've been able to produce are really relevant in, in our mind, uh, anywhere you are on the planet in terms of our struggles, our successes, our, 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 our passion, our purpose, and I'll dare say our product. Uh, but, but, but tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up in New Haven. You, where'd, you go, where'd you go to uh, high school here in New Haven? Um, I went to Wilbur Cross, but first, let, let me say thank you for having me uh, on the show, Tom. I really appreciate it. Um, I think we go back to when, uh, in the late 80s when I, I wrote uh, some of the first articles I ever wrote for the inner city. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so going back to that time, I think is when we first um, we first met and also just opening the show with uh, the music from the down under from the dream time, uh, you know, the aboriginals of Australia and, and other places. I, I, uh, I think that brings a, a unique tone and a, and a feel to um, how this interview will go. Uh, in, in terms of uh, my background, um, I grew up in New Haven. I went to Wilbur Cross High School. Um, I grew up on uh, Ashman Street. Everybody knows the uh, Elm Haven housing projects. Uh, yes. that we just call Ashman Street. You know, there's various different projects in New Haven, but mm-hmm. growing up in the 70s, there was only one projects. And yes. that was a universal projects. And that was uh, Ashman Street, Dixwell, the, uh, the high rise and the low rise. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I grew up at um, <clears throat> and, and evolved into a young adult. And uh, 
you know, and that experience, uh, you know, we talk about uh, the fact that due to technology, the, you know, the world is a global village, but growing up on Ashman Street, that that was a village. We had, mm. you know, thousands of people, you know, packed together and in uh, about a two block radius. And um, it was just an amazing experience, a powerful um, experience, but but one one amazing one. And, and I mean, so, so so walk us forward uh, a little bit. You're you're a little bit over 21 now. I, I'm I'm thinking so. Yes, <laughs> and we're going to talk about your books and, and uh, uh, you know the word this word spirituality and how that kind of connects and resonates with you and uh, even some of the struggles as you as you kind of proceed this this journey of life. Uh, uh, well, you're, it, when you mention Ashman Street, uh, tell me what what you're doing now, and I'll tell you why I kind of. Because there's a little, there's something cooking on Ashman Street now that connects with your 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 day job. Share with us a little bit sure. about your day job. Sure. Right right now, I'm working with an organization called the um, the Health Alliance um, for um, Violence Intervention, the Hobby. And the uh, the Hobby is basically it's it's a coalition type organization that works on violence intervention, and we're we are working with people in Connecticut. Uh, people in Baltimore, Newark, New Jersey, Baton Rouge, um, you know, we're really pushing this idea of community violence intervention as a as, as a way of addressing gun violence and violence in our communities. Um, we're involved uh, in different states around the country. We're, we're part of a, a four-city initiative uh, that's uh, funded by Balmer Group, which is uh, the foundation of the, uh, the owner of the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, uh, Steve Balmer. And, um, and we're working in Newark, New Jersey, uh, Baltimore, Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, and Indianapolis. And the, and, the, and the initiative over, you know, is over five years. And over five mm -hmm. years, we're going to be in 12 cities around the country. It's going to grow to five to 12 cities over five years. So that's the, that's my daytime job right now, working at the hobby and working on violence intervention. Um, prior to that, um, you know, I, I got my career start as a journalist working in Washington, D.C. I became the uh, editor at the Washington Afro-American newspaper, one of the uh, oldest Black-owned newspapers mm -hmm. in the country. And I tell people it's interesting because I, I never I never planned to become a journalist. It was something that happened spontaneously and organically. You know, my focus when in New Haven at the time I was attending South Central Community College was my focus was basketball and my other focus was hip hop. Mm -hmm. And so that's the only reason why I was going to school, um, uh, you know, was basketball and hip hop. And I started uh, writing rhymes and I became so good at it that I, at, at some point uh, in my life, I realized uh, I could write anything. Mm -hmm. I realized that. And, and this is why I tell people to follow their passions because I had never thought of becoming a journalist you know, I just was trying to get me and a friend of mine, uh, Chris Williams, we had a crew and we were just trying to get a record deal. And, mm -hmm. uh, but it was through following that passion of hip hop. It was through following the passion of basketball that I ended up in college and following the passion of hip hop that I learned how to write. And then one day I woke up and I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm a journalist. But never once did I wake up and say to myself, I'm going to be a journalist. It, it mm -hmm. just, you know, it just happened through me following you know my passions so um, and, mm -hmm. and, and as, as we've kind of just hit the pause button for a second as we've spoken before in terms of waking up it seems us that you know each day we in one way 
physically wake, wake up. Uh, but but this wake up is a, is, a, is a continual experience in terms of what, what we become aware of. Uh, share with us just a little bit about your, your professional experiences before we, we jump into the, the books and how you became an author, et cetera. Sure, sure. Um, as I said, I started off, um, I became a writer, um, became editor at the Washington Afro-American newspaper in, in Washington, D.C. Um, I uh, From there, I left uh, and started a publication called Africa Voice which was a look at U.S. policy towards Africa. That was in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. um, I continued to write. I, I've written for a number of publications, uh, Ebony Magazine, um, Black America Web, um, Emerge Magazine back in the day. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've written for Black newspapers um, and publishing columns all around the country, um, et, et cetera. But um, I kind of evolved into or segued into working with uh, nonprofits and particularly think tanks. I work with groups mm -hmm. like the Justice Policy Institute and we worked on criminal justice issues. <clears throat> so I segued into the policy field, working on uh, you know, issues that were, that were important to me. So every Indeed. organization I worked with was trying to improve the conditions of black people in America. That was very important to me to make sure that there was a connection to the work that I've done. Uh, more recently, I served as the um, Director of Communications at the uh, NAACP, uh, the National Office in Baltimore. I was there for several years um, when the new president, Derek Johnson, uh, came on. And uh, and from there, I've kind of shifted into the uh, environmental, uh, environmental field as well. I've worked with a number of different environmental organizations on environmental justice. But what's interesting is that the work I'm doing now on, on peace and, and violence intervention you know, in one of my books, I actually talk about, you know, peace summits because the book, the book I wrote, 21 Hustle, actually, uh, and that was published in 2004. So I'm talking about peace and peace summits back then, you know, mm -hmm. before I even moved in, into this field. And when I was at the NAACP, one of the ideas that I pushed to the then uh, the chairman, current still chairman, Leon Russell, was the idea of peace summits around the country, yes. you know, to deal with this issue of violence. So it's ironic, you know, like we talk about, you know, uh, you know, putting energy out there and seeing how it manifests itself. Uh, you know, I was working on these issues and I had no idea that a few years later I would be working with an organization working directly on on peace in our communities and, and violence intervention. You're right. I mean, the, 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 the circular nature sometimes of our path and the, and the and and the singularity even as well and the the, the intersection of, of sometimes our dreams and our hopes and our visions it's really fascinating for us to kind of be be on the planet at this moment when you mentioned ashman street i guess and i believe you're having a if, if folks want to find out about havi it's havi there's a website i believe i think you have an up, upcoming conference as well is in, in yeah, chicago yeah. it's uh the the hobby t-h-e the hobby h-a-v-i dot o-r-g and you can find out more about that. We do have a national conference happening late September in, in Chicago. And we call this like the largest gathering of peacemakers in the country. Mm -hmm. This is going to bring hundreds of peacemakers together from all aspects of the field. Like with the hobby, we focus on hospitals. So we push hospital-based violence intervention programs, which we call, you know, HVIPs. But we also work with organizations that do frontline work, that do violence interruption, violence interrupters, People that work on the front lines, we work with community organizations as well. 
So this is a huge gathering of Indeed. individuals who are activists, doctors, uh, medical staff, uh, politicians, et cetera. And it's going to be happening in Chicago um, at the end of September, on September 29th. So uh, it's it's a it's a huge gathering. We've done it uh, virtually the last the last few years because of mm -hmm. COVID. So mm -hmm. this will be the first time we're gathering in person uh, in in three right. three years. And I, I hope to uh, hope to clone myself by that time. I have a few weeks to do it, so I can kind of get out there. It's been on my schedule in, in some ways. I I serve as an alder city council person here in New Haven, and I'm a, we are run a variety of committees. Uh, but I'm on the public safety committee, so this issue is certainly pertinent to me. I believe you're working also uh, with Andrew Woods up in Hartford, uh, and and Leonard Jihad here in New Haven. Uh, his his project Longevity and and his uh, anti-violence group is located in right in Ashman Street. Now you still have the Elm Haven okay. Elm Haven housing, uh, but but there's a building that that he's so he's he's carrying on this your, your spirit in, in some ways, wow. even even there. Uh, uh, the author, how did you, again, we're going to delve into the books, but but how did you become an author? You, you referenced it a little bit in terms of just following the, the tea leaves and, and dipping your toe in the water, but I wanted you to kind of explicate a little bit more if you so choose on on, the, on, the, on that journey. Sure. I, um, you know, uh, like I said, I, I never woke up and said to myself, I'm going to be an author, I'm going to be a journalist. Um, I was focused on writing rhymes and, mm. and you know, performing. And back in the day in New Haven, uh, when I was attending South Central Community College, me and um, a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's, who's been incarcerated actually for close to 30 years now, Chris mm. Williams, uh, mm -hmm. and we just called Chris Chili C. And um, we had a group called Nonfest Incorporated. Um, and, uh, and, and it was, it was cool. It was like in the, the late eighties and, um, and we would do local shows. We did, uh, you know, uh, promos for local radio. We um, we did contests in New York. We went up. We did a contest with uh, Mr. Magic uh, from mm. WBLS mm -hmm. and what have you. And we would go up to places like the Latin Quarters. And and this is kind of talked about a little bit in my book, Twenty One Hustle. And mm -hmm. uh, and so we were really about, you know, that life of trying to get a record deal. And and I and it's really ironic because. Earlier in my life in New Haven, I was considered like a top student. Um, I was a, a person that was, you know, ranked number one in my class in, um, at, at Winchester School. Everybody mm -hmm. remembers Winchester, mm -hmm. Winchester School. Um, in seventh, eighth grade, I won city citywide contest history. You know, the first time they had a history uh, quizorama, I met uh, then Mayor Frank Loeb. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> You know, I had an opportunity to go to a private school, which I turned down because, um, you know, I wanted to go with the school where all my friends were going. Right, right. So I went to Troop, <laughs> Troop yeah. Middle School. Shout out to Mr. Beatty, um, a great principal there, and other teachers, Ms. Fredette. Uh, and also shout out to my teachers at Winchester, Miss um, Jones, uh, Miss Floyd, Miss Hester, uh, Mr. Baldino, Mr. Montagna, dude. Uh, mm. Those teachers were great, um, and they were uh, just so amazing, um, you know, in terms of the dynamics that they had to deal with and steering us on the on the right path. But you know, so but doing the hip hop um, is what kind of led me into writing. And then when I went to South Central Community College, I started. Uh, I became president of student government, and I one of the goals that I had. And shout out to Mr. Davis and Dr. Joyner. Um, mm -hmm. I was. Um, 
started restarting the newspaper, school newspaper. And so that's when I really wrote my first piece at, at South Central. Mm. Not only that, um, I had a, a, a creative writing course with uh, uh, Franz Dusky as a professor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, this was the first time I ever wrote anything like creative, like yes. other than hip hop. And I wrote a piece and it's ironic because I, I wrote a piece where um, it was uh, 1984 or whatever. And, um, and uh, um, Ronald Reagan had just got reelected or whatever. Yes. And I wrote a piece where I kind of switched uh, characters. I, it was a guy sitting in the couch, you know, in a white beater t-shirt, drinking a beer. And he was, and, but, it, but the world was different. He said, man, this is the second time in a row Jesse Jackson got elected. So white was black and black was white. Mm -hmm. And he talked about all the issues that they were going to face because Jesse Jackson got elected again. And, and normally <laughs> in the class, they would, you know, we would read our essays and then people would comment on it. Right. After I finished reading my essay, it was like complete silence for like just five minutes. Like, mm. you know, the teacher had to tell people, well, what do you think? You know, so. But that gave me a little a little taste. But other than that, you know, it was it was focused on hip hop. And then when I got to Brandeis University, I graduated from South Central and went to Brandeis University. And I got there and I became president of the Black Student Organization or chairperson of the Black Student Organization. And we and I got into it with some conservative on campus because once again, uh, defending Jesse Jackson because they had put uh, posters up attacking him. <clears throat> Calling them all different types of names, and I called the organization. I told them, "Listen, I'm the I'm the chair of the Black Student Organization. You got to take these posters down." And so this guy, who's now a, uh, actually a prominent conservative, <laughs> so you know, so it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. He he tried to educate me, and then he wrote some piece in the school newspaper that tried to make me look like a fool. And and so I said, "Well, I got to respond to this." And then so I responded to it, and it got so much attention that other conservatives on campus started writing and I kept writing. So I always thank the people at Brandeis, mm. conservatives at Brandeis mm. for starting my writing career. You know, mm -hmm. every time I wrote something, it would hit and then they would respond to it. And then, um, and then I would respond back. And so my career, my, my, um, my writing career kind of emerged in, in an organic way. Um, I didn't, even, at, even as I graduated from Brandeis, you know, I had applied to Harvard Business School. I got an interview at Harvard Business School. I thought I was going to work on Wall Street. And I actually spent the first years of my career working in Boston, working for a private bank and, and brokerage firm, you know, planning mm -hmm. to go back, you know, go back and reapply in, in a few years. And um, and then, you know, that kind of, I, I realized that that was not my destiny and not my goal because I was getting no satisfaction you know, for making more money for people who were wealthy, that was, I was getting nothing out of that. My concern was like, well, what's going on in Boston? What's happening? Because they had a lot of gang violence going on in Boston at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I ended up leaving Boston and uh, I was, uh, went down to Wilson, North Carolina, where my parents uh, grew up at. And I stayed with my aunt, my aunt Leanna. And um, I went to the library when I was looking for a job. And I came across this newspaper, the um, Afro-American newspaper. And I had never seen a newspaper like this, a broadcloth, you know, full color mm. black mm -hmm. newspaper. Mm -hmm. And I saw it and I said, and I said to myself at that time, I want to work for them. Now, I had no intentions of ever being in D.C. Yeah. or anything like that. But on, on a ride back up to uh, uh, back up to Connecticut, 
the people I was writing with, they stopped right outside DC uh, to visit an aunt of theirs. And, uh, and at the time I had a book, uh, Juwanja Kumfuju's book, mm -hmm. Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys. And, uh, and the lady asked to borrow it. And I said, well, how am I gonna get it back? She said, well, you can come down and visit. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so you, you see where I'm going here. And so, um, you know, about a year later, um, after I was in New Haven and uh, me and Chris were trying to start a record label and it didn't fell through. And then he got, you know, arrested and charged, even though he, you know, he continues to, to um, plead his innocence uh, nonstop. Um, you know, I ended up going back to, going right outside DC and I wrote a, um, an op-ed and um, I sent it to the Afro American newspaper. And, you know, and I just look at the timing because, you know, black newspapers, at most, they may have two full-time reporters at most. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so the timing could only be aligned by, you know, by higher forces, by ancestors, by my destiny. But I sent that uh, op-ed in and they loved it and they invited me and I got recruited by Washington Afro and the Baltimore Afro. They came in and basically offered me a job. Great. So, uh, you know, so almost a year later than, then I, when I first saw that newspaper, I was in, I was writing for them, mm -hmm. and, and and I tell people that was a miracle because I I had no idea. I just said to myself, you know, I I want to write for them, and that's yes. putting that energy out in the universe. You know, yes. you know. No, I mean, yeah, I'm, I can't, became yeah. a writer, became a journalist. I'm I'm so glad you you lift, lifted up the the Afro and the the NNPA in 1827, and you know we we have to speak speak our own truth. And it's it's really fascinating that after the John Rusworm and others in 1827, now we're in uh, 2023 and still fighting to kind of get our message out. Uh, Malik, tell me a little bit, uh, uh, we have about 40 or so minutes. And by the way, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show and uh, Malik Melky Russell is with us, author, journalist, and, and thoughtist. And Malik, it just occurs to me that when people will hear this, uh, because uh, with your having New Haven roots, they might want to be in touch with you. Is there kind of a, an official way that folks can kind of give you a shout out and say hi and ask how you're doing and give you some money and sure. invest in your products and, you know, give you a million dollars? Yeah, definitely folks that have a million dollars and want to contribute to my cause, <laughs> they, can, they can reach me on Twitter at uh, Melky, J, Melky J. Russell on Twitter. Um, you can also visit my site, which is a new word media, uh, com, and that's a n u w o r d media uh, com. So you can reach me both those ways. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. If folks uh, are on LinkedIn, you can reach me there as well. And if and if you happen to be a person lucky enough to win the next Mega Millions, <laughs> then I will give you my personal number. <laughs> That's All right. Let's, let's, let's jump into some, some of your books and, and we'll see where we, where we go from there for the remaining 35 or so minutes. And you mentioned your first book was the uh, 21 Hustle, aka the, the funky hip hoop nautic. And I guess uh, what, you hear a lot of this buzz about the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Uh, and then also we want to chat about the 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 universe and the infinite everyday understanding. Weave a little bit, if you would, for me, and let me slow down as I kind of try to craft this this question, because you've laid the groundwork in such a an, an illustrative and visual way about your about your 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 social cause and passion about you know freedom and liberation from an organizational standpoint. 
And the books that we're going to talk about, uh, in my mind, are connected. But I want you to kind of make that connection where you, you, you mentioned the one, one of the themes is kind of, you know, energy and, and thought mm -hmm. and consciousness and, and commitment. And just and even psychic health, if I can use that kind of word. Yeah. But what's what's the that's make that kind of connection, if you would, for me, be, be between your laboring in the vineyard to make social progress and your uh, manifesting. The, let's say philosophy. I'm not trying to dumb down the, your, your your books, but uh, your, your your philosophical statements, your your spirituality statements, your your, your thoughts about what reality is and, and what reality isn't from a black perspective. Sure, and I'll start with uh, uh, 21 House of the Funky Hoop Hypnotic because this was an important book. Um, I started writing this book in the 90s, <clears throat> in the early 90s. Um, and it was some profound things that were happening that, um, you know, and uh, that uh, forced me to like rewrite the book. I had half of the book done and then The Matrix came out. Mm -hmm. And when the Matrix came out, I mean, it was eerie. Um, and shout out to Sophia Stewart, who was the actual author, real author of the Matrix. Um, it, but it was it was eerie because they had characters, uh, the same name as characters in my book, and, and similar themes, including the name of the uh, the, the spaceship, the Nebuchadnezzar. So mm -hmm. I had to kind of like take what I had. And I had to kind of rewrite it because it was it was eerily similar to, um, you know, uh, to the Matrix. But 21 Hustle, it comes out of a, 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 a place that connects with, you know, that spirit of liberation, that spirit to have African and black people be free and free from oppression. Because what I saw was that after the Matrix came out, Terminator and these other movies, um, you know, understanding the nature of the universe, what I realized is that, you know, we tend to bring into existence the things that we vibrate on. And that's thinking, the things that we think about. So if you're thinking about you want money, but all you're thinking about is how broke you are, that's what you're attracting to you. You know, so in terms of, you know, uh, 21 Hustle and looking at, you know, the Matrix, a Terminator, what I was feeling at that time was that we need an alternate vision of the future. Mm. Mm. This can't be the only future that that we're thinking about and vibrating about where everybody's is has this post-apocalyptic type scenario, this mm -hmm. dystopian scenario. So that's what where 21 Hustle came from, because I said we I have to give people alternative visions of the future. And and within that, um, you know. You know, housed within the idea of basketball and and, and and comedy, I tried to infuse in there ideas about the future. And, and some of these, and, and the ironic thing is, some of these things, you know, have happened because I started writing the book in the ninety. Mm -hmm. It was published in two thousand four, and some of the things, um, you know, have happened. I talk about you know the NBA ex expanding to Africa. Um, I talk about um, new energy sources. And basically, um, you know, the African continent, you know, um, you know, transmuting itself in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, regrowth and, and stability and economic power. So these are things I put out there. I put out things like the NBA. I talk about the Black Athletes, um, you know, Unity Fund, where 
uh, you know, black athletes across the board from uh, NBA to baseball to everything, they contribute like a small percentage of their salary, you know, to, um, you know, organizations that provide resources to communities, you know, and, and, and no, and at the time, no one had any idea that, you know, players would now be signing for 200, $300 million contracts, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 21 hustle was about, I've got the place in here and create a different vision of the future. And I talk a lot about New Haven. I talk about the rebuilding of Dixwell Avenue and Ashman street and, and, you know, pyramids in New Haven and, and actually New Haven and Yale separating, like, you know, Yale creating its own community and separating from New Haven. I talk mm-hmm. about all these different things happening um, in, in, in a way to, to kind of create a different vision, you know, for the future. And, and also embedded in it is, you know, certain language, uh, because, you know, as we talk, talk about, the universe was created with, with a sound. So, you know, and we know from the ancient Egyptians, you know, we use the term heka, and we know that words have power. You can bring things into existence with power. Even, you know, um, if you uh, if you study, um, you know, Christianity, things like that, you talk about, you know, the word being there. Um, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. So the word has power. So I, I embedded in this book certain syllables designed to bring, you know, to, to bring about energy that if we can think on certain, certain things, we could bring them into existence. Excellent. Uh, you know, excellent. And, and I, I think you've, you've uh, excellently, te- te- and when I say tease, not being sarcastic, but you've, you, you've tempted and teased and offered up an opportunity for people to kind of find out more about uh, 21 Hustle. So how can they purchase it if they so choose or, or, uh, they can they can go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. Um, I have a page on Amazon with all of my books. You can also go to anewwordmedia.com, and there's a link there as well. Excellent. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned uh, uh, Sophia Stewart's name in terms of Matrix, because as people might recall, just the, oh, our, our blues, us being able to play our blues without other people taking it and, 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 and running with it, and that, that paradigm, that 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 economic competition kind of continues in so many ways. So I guess for people to kind of research or just do a little Google search on the matrix and really that where that creative fire really came from in terms of Sophia, because she had to go through a lot of legal legal battles to kind of get a pittance of, of reparations, if I might say. Um, uh, before we go to uh, the, the universe. And also, and, Tom, mm-hmm. just another point about, you know, the 21 Hustle, like one of the quotes I end with is a, is a quote from, uh, you know, if you remember or, uh, Charles Finch, Dr. Charles Finch, mm-hmm. um, you know, the great author and also a physician, um, you know, back in the, the early days of the Afrocentric movement with uh, Ivan Van Sertima, Sheikh Anta, Joe and uh, John Henry Clark and other individuals. But, uh, you know, Finch is still around. He's a you know, and he's, he, he was a genius, but he was talking about in his, in his book, um, you know, just the beginnings of, you know, what we now, you know, call quantum mechanics and how that has grown over mm-hmm. the years in the study and research of that. You have people today like, um, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and, and James Gate, James Sylvester Gates, you know, mm-hmm. was talking about, you know, supersymmetry and uh, the string theory and everything. But, uh, Finch brought it home for me because he talked about, you know, just the the nature of the universe, or the nature of our reality, which is what quantum mechanics and physics is trying to get to is, 
you know, what is reality? And, and, and as, as we know, as we go to the quantum level, things get smaller and smaller, but the rules in the quantum level don't necessarily apply to the physical level, mm -hmm. which, you know, is what Newton was talking about. Mm -hmm. But he talks about just how, when looking at, you know, a, determining whether or not, <clears throat> uh, 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 you know, something will become a wave or a particle, when they, it's, yeah. it was impacted by wind or, or by your by actually measuring it. Mm -hmm. And so what he talked about was just the fact that, and this is in my books, the universe and in others, is a general theme that we are co-creating reality. We are mm -hmm. co-creating the universe. Nothing is exists in itself. Everything is connected. So uh so the mere act of of measuring on a quantum level, it, it shows you whether or not, you know, the wave, it becomes a wave or a particle. And so now people are realizing that, you know, the world is an interactive world, that we're co-creating reality consistently. And that's what, uh, you know, and, and so looking at 21 Hustle Funky Hoop Hypnotic, you know, you come to the realization that we have the power to create the world uh, that we want. You know, we have we, we just have to understand that we can create that. And, and, and when I talk to my daughter, you know, uh, you know, I used to tell her when she was younger how uh, we used to watch Star Trek and they would have the the, the flip phones and, the you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I tell her, I said, today, that's a reality. I that's said, right. They put it out there and somebody and it became a reality. Somebody used it as a model. So and, and that's something that uh, Einstein also talked about, the power of imagination, because he knew it innately. He maybe he didn't quite understand it fully, but he realized the power that our mind has to interact with reality to produce a new reality. And, and I think that's, a, and so that's a big part of the book as well. Absolutely. And then I guess as you were talking, my mind flipped back to, to even Dick, Dick, Dick Tracy. So people might remember that Dick Tracy thing. But so, so Malik, drive home this point for me a little, little more. Uh, in terms of the connection between if if you're so so Derek the NAACP just finished his convention up in, in mm -hmm. Boston um, Marcus com com completed his convention down in or for the Urban League I think it was in Houston this year uh, could you write a speech for them where they would talk about the connection between what you've just said and the uh, uh, the various ten point plans that the NAACP uh, Urban League always roll out Marshall Plan things etc. Connect, and I think that's. I, I was anxious to do this show because I wanted you to kind of drive that connection between our our liberation struggle and science, discovery, imagination, mind, consciousness. Tom, I could. I I would say before I answer, could I write it for them? Sure, but it, it depends on how much they're paying. You know, so so yeah. Well, so, so well, if, if they're paying, I, I don't want you to give to give all your all your your tidbits away. But I think you get you. I think you sense sense my drift that. Uh, from an intellectual standpoint, it's one thing to kind of comprehend what you've just said, and then people are still involved with the daily struggle. And your 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 position as an individual, as well as your your work product for the last few decades, to find to understand that continuum between social between hu human progress and 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 science, and particularly how it pertains to well, black people. Yeah, you you bring up a good point. I mean, what what you're really asking is is genius, and is, you know, is it the question that you're asking, because it's um, because that's what needs to happen. We need to be able to connect the spiritual and the energetic side to, you know, the practical, in in in, in the real world side, 
And, but the question is, you know, that I have after working, you know, 30 years or so in policy, working with, you know, leaders all around the country, you know, I've, I've spent time working at the EEOC. I was a special assistant to the chair chairwoman there. Um, you know, um, I did one of the earliest interviews with Barack Obama when he was running for the Senate. You know, the question is, because it takes a different way of thinking about mm-hmm. it. The question mm-hmm. is, if you created this wheel, this this new thing, would people would people use it? Would people accept it? And that's and that's the thing because, and what I'm saying is that the way we are conditioned to think, it, you know, there there is a dichotomy between you know, oftentimes between the so-called practical world and the so-called real world, and people that are in uh, that are placed in the real world to deal with you know politics and things like that they're often turn, taught to shun that spiritual or energetic connection. Mm, mm. So it's like the book, um, The Healing Drum with Yaya uh, Diallo. And he talked about how he was brought back to his tribe. I think it was in Guinea in Africa, but he had lived abroad. He had become educated and what have you. And he talked about just the power of the drum because we used in Africa, we used the drum to communicate to each other. Um, and, and they had a talking drum. And so mm-hmm. he talked about that the elders talked about him and they questioned, they said, can we bring him into this fraternity? And because they were worried about his education because mm-hmm. he had already been conditioned to think in a Western way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So he had to be able to unravel that Westernized thinking in order to connect with this traditional system of power. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of people that, you know, they, they can tell you everything about what's going on and all the particular strategies and the methods and everything, but can they connect that to a spiritual or energetic level or can they see it in that or see those connections? And, and, and there are, of course, there are people out there. Um, is it the current crop of leadership? I don't know. Um, because, um, it's, it's my experience has been that it's it's very hard. You have to you know you have to find those unique leaders mm-hmm. that can that can you know vibrate on that level mm-hmm. that can take that information uh, because oftentimes I've been in positions where you know I've been an advisor. My current job I'm senior advisor at NAACP. I was director of communication, but I advise the president. You know I advise them on how to respond to issues, how to talk about issues. Etc. You know, but an advisor is just an advisor. You have to have you have to have the other part of the of, of that component, which is someone to listen. Mm-hmm. So, so you can present somebody with the answer to everything, but are they going to listen to it? You know, that's the question. Um, and, and you know, but your question, like I said, is a genius question, and and it, it would make me want to think about you know. Really? I, I, want you, I want you to think about it. And we're going to, when we do the next show, we'll focus on it more. I'll begin to send you some some thoughts in that regard between now and say, let, let's say uh, October. Uh, but but let, let me let me let me take another bite at the apple this way. It seems to me, and, and I do want to talk about the, the, the universe book, uh, that in almost all of your works, there's uh discipline actions. You give examples of how to discipline exercise our various mental, physical, 
psychic social muscle. And so I, I think uh, that you don't leave people hanging about encouraging them to explore exercising, developing, improving their discernment. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I, I try to connect the practical because you can really go all day on the spiritual energetic size. And I use kind of spiritual energetic interchangeably because you know, depending on what your belief system is, um, you know, some people may not necessarily uh, cling to spiritual beliefs in terms of their view of the universe, their view of reality. And so you can deal with it. If you want to deal with it scientifically, then you can talk about energy because we know everything is energy and energy is matter. Matter is just a slower form of slower form of energy that's vibrating. So we know energy and matter. That's what Einstein talked about. equals uh, MC squared, you know, that Energy and matter is all one. And then as you look into the universe, you see that, you know, there's mat matter only makes up about 4% of the entire universe, you know, and, and then, and I think around 70% of it is, 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 a uh, is, a uh, is a is dark, dark, is a dark, dark energy mm -hmm. or dark, uh, a dark matter. Mm -hmm. So that's the overwhelming part of the universe and matter. What we see, and I think uh, it was uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, um, the, the physicist um, David Bohm, mm -hmm. he, he talked about I think the implicate order, and mm -hmm. and and Bohm got to me because the way he looked at the universe was he was like you know we tend to we, we look at the sky and we focus on the mountains the buildings what's there, but he says well well what a, well that's only so such a small piece of what's in the sky, you know what about that what we think of as empty space that's the much larger piece of the pie. You know, and so looking at the universe, you know, it's like we're so focused on matter that, um, you know, that oftentimes we, we miss the bigger, you know, the bigger picture of, you know, the fact that it's only a small percentage of the universe. And really on a quantum level, everything breaks down to the same level. So I use, you know, energy and spirituality and, and is interchangeable because if you're coming from a scientific perspective, well, then you can't deny energy. You know, and so, Indeed. you know, and that, and that's all spirit and, you know, uh, spirit and matter, you know, it's, it's just those are different forms of energy. I was the evolved, you know, forms of energy or evolved forms of sciences that we really haven't mastered yet. Let, let me try a third bite of the apple. I mean, let me try okay. it this way. <laughs> and I appreciate everything you mentioned because it's been illustrative and we're taking the deep dive. And that was that's one reason that I was so glad to kind of launch this. Uh, baptismal show um you you work with the word i want to use is gangbangers and that sounds kind of like a, a a pejorative term but but you you work with you know gangbangers over the years what would you, what have you said to them or you're attempting to share with them to see them to to encourage them to explore this new way of thinking and being you know um i've, I've worked with the, the issue of um of uh you know, uh, peace, you know, even um, and, and, and creating, a, a, you know, a, creating a violence intervention programs, um, you know, even going back to uh, when I worked in D.C., I worked at the Justice Policy Institute, that was around 2004, and I worked with some organizations there in terms of getting, um, you know, uh, back then they were not calling it necessarily CVI or community violence intervention. 
But I work with people like uh, Tyrone Parker, Alliance of Concerned Men, uh, Ronald Moton, the Peace of Hall. These were groups that were mm-hmm. community groups that were brokering peace treaties in D.C. Yes. You know, peace treaties on Benning Road and other places like that. So, but I brought to them the, the communication side in terms of getting this issue, helping to get this issue before the mayor, mayoral candidates so that yes. we knew that the next mayoral candidates would support this, um, you know, this, this issue. Um, now, what you're talking about, you're talking about, you know, is is personal change. Yes. Most of what my work is 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 on a, is a bigger picture of, say, personal change or societal change among people who are so who are leaders, you know, and and people who create policy. I mean, the same principles, you know, apply in that you uh, you know because when we're talking about personal change, and this is you know with the with my book, The Universe, you know, I get people, I try to get people to understand that, um, and this doesn't, you know, and, and, and like I said, it's, it's, a re, it's an interactive world. So you have to be in a place to receive knowledge. You know, if you, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of young people will tell you this, they'll say, well, 20 years ago, I was not trying to hear this, mm-hmm. you know? So you, you can't reach somebody if, you know, I just saw the movie, the George Foreman movie. And and seeing his, you know, when he first came in and and he was in and his bo- his boxing coach was trying to teach him, you know, to think, but that's not where he was at. He was not there. But personal change that happens. And if you look at my book, The Universe, you know, once once you understand that our reality is of a is, is a reflection of our internal reality, mm-hmm. you know. Um then you start to pick up pieces of wisdom that, you know, that the things that are happening um, and, and, and also with the universe where I talk about the fact that um, because I wrote the universe after I had experienced some, some rough times and times I couldn't explain. I was really in a bad place. Um, and, and what I needed to realize, come to the realization was that the universe was not judging me. Mm, mm. God was not judging me you know, my reality was a reflection of my internal reality. But once again, I was in the center of creating that reality. Mm-hmm. So once you understand that we are co-creating our realities, because when we come in, when we manifest in the physical world, is you know, we're here to learn lessons. And, and if you think about the things that happen in our life, which I talk about in the universe, you realize that, well, nobody but me could press these buttons because nobody knows me with mm-hmm. me like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody we're, knows what yeah. piss me off. We're the navigator, right? Yeah, absolutely. You, right. You, you, you mentioned, by the way, Malik, on page 42, that the interactive nature of the world interacts with us in a way that constantly pushes us closer to God or the all. The interactive nature of the world interacts with us in a way that constantly pushes us closer to God or the all. Tell me about that. Sure, sure. And, uh, and and when I talk about the interactive nature, you know, with us in the center, us playing that role, we have us, we have, uh, you know, spiritual realities, we have physical reality, we're all working together, is that when the universe looks at you, it's not seeing a person, it's not seeing a guy um, this tall, I wear glasses, 
I have a degree from so-and-so. Because the, the universe, just like you know, we talked about earlier, it can only see energy. So it can't see who you are. It just sees what energy you're generating, what energy you're vibrating on. You know, and, and as people know, if you look at you know the chakra system, sometimes the energy has a color associated with it. Mm-hmm. So the universe only sees energy. So it, it doesn't know who you are, just the energy that you're you're generating. So it's interacting with you, and we are playing that part in that to 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 generate, to push that energy in a way so that it is more agreeable and it is lighter because on the physical level, my belief system, you know, I, I follow the African traditional belief system called IFA. You know, we 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 often choose our destiny before we come here mm. and what we're going to 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 learn. Mm-hmm. And so that energy is constantly pushing us to, to kind of rise above our scenario, to rise above the physical, because it's, it's like, you know, and as you look at at gases moving up, they rise to the top because they're lighter. Mm-hmm. So the physical things of the world kind of bind us to this world and they and they keep us grounded. And so you have to kind of break free mentally from those physical things that we know are, are not you know necessarily best for us in order to, to rise. And as you like gas and as you rise, you become lighter. You know, just like if we, you talked about earlier, you know, the show started, you know, like we might do the first inter, interdimensional or interspace, you know, radio mm-hmm. show and, mm-hmm. and, and, and what have you. But we know to, to go to other dimensions, you can't bring certain things with you. Like if you're in one dimension, you're going to a higher dimension. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't bring your car with you. You can't bring <laughs> right. all your money and everything right. else. You got to leave that stuff, you know. So, and, and that's the mental process as well, because, you know, as above, so below. So it's not just the physical, it's, it's also mental. So we have, you know, I had a conversation with a few people recently and I was like, okay, well, I just, you know, I'm just a year away from 60 now. And, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we I mean it's guy we're talking we're talking about you know families and other people who like okay well what we have to realize at this point in our life is do we want to take this stuff to the other side with us mm-hmm. that's what we have to determine mm-hmm. you know is that beef worth taking to the other side mm-hmm. you know because it's a it's an evolutionary process where we're continually uh, moving back towards the all towards yes. God so. If, so at some point we're going to have to get you know jettison whatever it is that is holding us down and keeping us here on on the planet you know and keeping us heavy. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. We're, we're we're chatting with Malik Melky Russell, author and journalist and thoughtist. And Malik, we have about three three more minutes, and I just wanted to give you the chance to. Uh, there's a particular graphic above your head that I'm sure you've intentionally placed uh, journaling it. it it conveys discernment, but but talk to me about uh that that graphic that's above your head. Sure, sure. This is um something, and it is also in um you know if you look on the the funky hip, hoop ignited on the basketball there, but it's you know the sometimes called the eye of Horus, and some people said it it has you know uh, uh, geometric meanings, uh, you know, it's, you know, and spiritual geometry and things like that, which it can't be broken down in, in terms of, you know, that sense. But part of it, you know, if you, when you enter any of the ancient Egyptian temples or whatever, uh, above the temple, they always had in there, know thyself. Mm. So, um, you know, and, um, and there was recently an author that wrote a book about 
um, knowledge of self, how that term existed for, you know, uh, hundreds of years in Islam before, and it became part of the, the rap hip hop lexicon. Mm-hmm. But the idea of knowing thyself that, that is really, you know, about us, um, you know, going in, internally to understanding who we are. And, and part of that knowing thyself is not just knowing who you are, but also understanding who you are collectively. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and a big part of that is knowing your history. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and it's funny because like I said, we've, first connected back in uh, 1989 or so when I wrote a piece for the inner city newspaper. And that first piece was around ancient Egypt being a black civilization. Mm-hmm. And today that argument is still going on. We're still mm-hmm. fighting yes. over because we cannot really know who we are unless we know who we've been. Mm. And, um, but more and more truth is coming out now in, in ways that wasn't available then. So, that's what this graphic is about, is really understanding yourself. You look at my books, The Universe. It's about looking inside and figuring out, you know, and understanding that, no, uh, you know, God is not uh, punishing me. The universe is not punishing me. This is part of the learning experience. And and I and in order to, to move ahead, I've got to really understand myself and how to move forward. Excellent, excellent. Malik just want to really deeply deeply thank you. And we've just uh, begun to kind of fertilize the ground. So we're, we're, we're going to, as, as your time permits, we're going to chat more. Harry, uh, uh, thank you for your engineering and, and for your, your dedication also. As you know, Malik, to have any teamwork or product uh, manifest itself, you need teamwork. And our, Harry is our station manager and does a great job. If you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show. We've been blessed to kind of really commune with Malik Melky, Russell, author, journalist, thoughtist, but also New Havener. Were you, were you born in Grace New Haven Hospital? Where were you born? No, um, I was born in Wilson, North Carolina. Wilson, so you came to New Haven roughly, how old did you recall? I was about one. One, so yeah, all right, so, so we name and claim you. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. my mom brought, brought us up here, you know. Excellent. Harry, that's, we've been so glad to kind of have you, Malik. Harry, thanks so much. Uh, I guess we have about 10 more seconds. Malik, for folks who want to find out and reach out and contact you, how do they do sure. that? Folks can follow me on Twitter uh, at Melky J. Russell. Um, and uh, you can visit a new word media.com to learn more about uh, my books. Excellent. Excellent. Malik, luck, see, see you soon, man. See All you right. soon. See you soon. See you soon.